Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. It's like the year that my stepmom um, said that we couldn't celebrate Halloween because it was the devil's work. And so in school, when we were reading like Halloween poems, I, I stay, stay seated. I like sat at my desk while everybody else stood up and read it. And then the teacher got serious? really mad at me because I wasn't participating. And I said, I'm not supposed to. My stepmom said, we can't. It was a whole thing. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. That was your childhood. Yeah. Every other year, you know, whenever they had me for Halloween. Oh, that sucks. Harper, we were on a call last night with my family, and um, I was just trying to tell my brother and my mom, like, look, if we want to be able to see each other in 2020, it probably makes the most sense of trying to find a place in the middle Mm -hmm. that everybody can drive to in one day, right? So you're not having to stay overnight in random hotels or, like, stop to eat in restaurants and, you know, that sort of thing. So maybe we should find where that place is and then book like an Airbnb or something for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And Harper's like, Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And she's like, Thanksgiving doesn't mean anything in my world. And they all just kind of looked at me and I go, I wish she made that statement as a political statement towards the fact that Thanksgiving is a made up holiday based on lies, covering up how we've decimated like the entire Native American population. And I go, but actually it's just because she doesn't eat turkey and doesn't like any of the food served. So she doesn't see a reason why we should have it. (laughs) I think this is the intro to the episode, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I never said, welcome back to the nonprofit reframe. How funny would it be if we just released the episode with us just like (laughs) mid-conversation? We could do it. Hey, it's our podcast. We can do whatever the hell we want. It is our fucking podcast. (laughs) So welcome, everyone. We started talking, and now we're just going to bring you into the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Who else wants to talk about bullshit holidays? Should we roast (laughs) Valentine's Day? (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. Well, Halloween, I mean, that's my my jam. So that makes me really sad. That it's so fun. I, it's so fun. Yeah. And it can have a lot of different meanings for people. For a number of years, God, I can't believe I'm telling this story. Uh, my stepmom would bring the entire family down to Amish country for Halloween so we could get back to like a pure time and space. Um, but... Like, the first year we went, I was really confused because I thought everybody was dressing up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But they're just Amish. And I, I discovered that later on. <laughs> wow. I like to say to each its own, you know, I get people have their own beliefs, but uh, Halloween's a lot of fucking fun. Well, and let's be clear, I've, I've been in therapy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of shit fucks you up. <laughs> well, spe- 
speaking of stuff that can fuck you up, what are we talking about today? <laughs> For some reason, my first thought was like, are we talking about booze and drugs? What are we, where are we going? <laughs> we are talking about the scarcity issue in nonprofits, but with a little sprinkle of COVID specificity, because as we all know, what COVID is doing to everybody everywhere is amping up everything. So what was bad yeah. is worse. What was good is probably gone. <laughs> <laughs> and so the scarcity mindset, which we've, we've talked about in prior episodes, and of course we bring up regularly, is so much worse right now because there's so much uncertainty. And so nonprofits, generally speaking, are freaking the fuck out. Yeah, so you take our already um, habitualized mindset of scarcity and then you add some COVID paranoia to oh, it. I like that. Yeah, just a dabbling of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and this stems from an email that you shared with me and you and I were discussing it. And like all of our episodes, that's how our... Um, our different topics come to be yes. is through real conversations that you and I have had. And then we say, Ooh, that would be a good podcast topic. Mm-hmm. And if nothing more than to show that we don't just read VU. <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourselves, everyone. This email was not from VU. <laughs> so this came out from Joan Gary. Um, Nonprofits are messy is her thing. Um, she's got a podcast. She's got a blog. She does um, cult coaching, consulting, speaking, the whole nine. Um, and so this this blog post came out on Monday, June 15, and the title is Should This Organization Have Applied for PPP Funding? And, of course, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but it did really get me thinking, um, not just about – you know, the shoulds in this case, you know, did they make the right decision? Did they have good decision-making processes? But what underlies the, the, whole, the whole question here, um, which is around scarcity? Right. And it goes back to, because we can't have an entire episode without quoting Vu, but it goes <laughs> back to, so we'll just bring a little bit of him in. It goes back to that concept of the nonprofit Hunger Games. And if you remember, we had an episode a couple months ago. I cannot believe that we've been working from home and quarantined for months and months and months now. But at the beginning of this, when we saw every nonprofit's hand go out immediately, Mm -hmm. whether they were doing frontline work like uh, food centers you know, food banks or not, you know, it didn't really even matter what their mission was. It was just, holy shit, it's a pandemic. We're going to lose funding. So please give to us. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And, but, and we had discussed how we thought that that was doing a disservice to those whose services really had, you know, doubled, tripled, quadrupled because of COVID. And that's really where we should be instructing our supporters to go and support for the time being. You know, hey, we're so grateful for your support that you've shown us and your loyalty to us that we're good. 
we're okay for right now, but you know who's not? Our brother or sister organization over here who really needs some help. Mm -hmm. So let's help them out. Yeah, and I think one of the important things there, too, was that, you know, so many organizations were suddenly upending their fundraising plans because they were so scared. So it's like, oh, well, we were planning to do this thing in June, but... Who knows what will happen in June? And so let's put our hand out right now. We're not going to think it through. We're not going to look at some of these larger impacts. We are just going to go because we have to go right now. Um, and it, I think our call at that time was like, just just take a sec. Just think about it. <laughs> right. And be strategic about when you make your right. ask so that it really is a heartfelt ask, you know, that people are like, oh, okay, now I understand why they need our mm-hmm. support. I can't remember if I shared the story on the pod or if it was just in a conversation with you because they're, you know, they're not really distinct. We talk about the same shit on the phone as we do on the pod. Um, exactly. But I, I had a client who was in that position where they wanted to go out right away in March and I had advised them to kind of hold tight. We had a plan to fundraise in May and the impacts on their client population was still very unknown. We waited, we held tight, and then in April, we really were, you know, more than anything, we we were able to better understand the situation, went out with a strong campaign in early May, and raised over triple what we anticipated. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, um, not just to say, like, I'm a killer fundraising consultant or anything, but, um, (laughs) you know, there's some... Just a little pat on the back. There's some wisdom there, and in being smart about this stuff and being strategic about this stuff and not letting scarcity upend your plans. Right. And so Joan Gary's blog post is in the same um, train of thought, but in regards to PPP. Right. So for those who aren't familiar, the PPP, not to get confused with PPE, which I know is kind of hard to hear. Right. PPP. Um, is the payroll protection or program. not to be confused with OPP. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know you me. Know me. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. It was just like, you lobbed it up. I just, I had to go uh, for it. Okay. Okay. So PPP payroll protection program. And it was available initially, supposedly to small businesses, nonprofits, um, to ensure that they were able to keep people on payroll. Um, and so part of the process was to, to show that you um, you had the potential to experience a threat because of COVID, because of shutdowns, because of whatever, um, and that th- these funds would ensure that you could keep people um, employed. And then the hope is that once you do that, the loan gets forgiven. So it becomes a grant. And of course, to nonprofits, we love grants. Exactly. Um, so... You know, a lot of organizations went out. Uh, The first round of funding got swooped up real quick because um, the concept of small business, in quotes, was lost on a lot of large companies uh, because capitalism sucks. And then they came out with a second round of funding and a lot more folks, um, including nonprofits, were able to get in on that. And some of those really big companies that were awarded millions and millions and millions of dollars actually gave back the money, right? Once they got publicly called out. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Lots of shot and forward for me there. (laughs) (laughs) And full disclosure, my business got a PPP loan. Um, It's teeny tiny because uh, we don't have staff in that way. 
Um, but I had a number of clients reaching out saying, Hey, we're going to be delayed. We just had to cancel our gala. We can't pay your, your bill, um, in the sure. time frame given. And so it, those funds really are important to small businesses like mine and certainly to nonprofits. So that's the, the landscape, right? That's the background. So here's what Joan has to say. Um, okay. Once upon a time. Well, cause uh. to be clear, sorry, real quick, you talked about the two rounds. I know I'm sorry, but to be clear, there's a lot of people who didn't get it. Right. Right. Because they ran out the first time there is technically still funding available. Um, but they also might not have qualified. They might've been declined, right? There, there are a lot of reasons why folks don't have funding right now through it. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Once upon a time. Okay. Just double check. You're not jumping in again. Nope. (laughs) Once upon a time in the land of COVID-19, there was an executive director who had to decide whether to apply for funds through the payroll protection program, PPP. Primarily PPP. Thank goodness we have these pop filters. I'd be blowing out our mics. PPP funding offers small businesses and nonprofits a certain number of weeks of payroll as a loan, blah, blah, blah. I already explained that. This executive director had a large budget and no cash flow problems. In fact, the organization has a cash reserve. A gift from a family foundation for a sizable amount seems very promising. But who knows what to expect? A fall gala projected to generate substantial revenue is in question. Like all nonprofits, there's so much uncertainty. You may have already decided this org should not apply for PPP funding, but there's much more to the story. And then she goes on to to talk about what happened and the board's discussion um, on whether to apply or not, which is, you know, where I think we are. Um, I know I had that same knee-jerk reaction of like, wait, why are they applying? Right. But... I feel like that is not, uh, that's the exception, not the rule when it comes to applying for funds within organizations. The knee-jerk reaction tends to be, oh, here's a funding opportunity. Let's apply for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've got kind of two issues at play, right? Like this, uh, the sense that first off, we're just good at it as nonprofits. We, we churn out grant applications all day, every day. Um, and so of course, when an opportunity like this comes around, you jump on it. Um, and then you've got the, uh, actually I'm going to say we have three issues. Then you've got the scarcity stuff, this like uncertainty that drives decision-making. Um, and then you've got this third level where, um, there isn't enough funds, which is always true, right? You know, when you apply to any foundation, not every proposal is going to get funded. Not everything's going to get funded to the total amount. Um, and, and so, you know, you're always trying to figure out how to win, but at the same time, others lose out. And I know that's part of this decision-making too, especially in Joan's, um, scenario that, you know, there are some nonprofits who, who didn't get funding that first round because it ran out, um, and others who did, who maybe don't actually need the funds. Right. And those who didn't get funded maybe resulted in laying off staff yeah. because of it. Yeah. Where the other organizations that did get funding had the reserve capacity to be able to keep their staff during that time mm-hmm. yep. by digging into their reserves. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of a morals quandary, right? Yeah. And this is where, like, as board members, it can get really tricky, right? Like, you can have um, opinions about how 
the PPP has rolled out, um, who it's funding, and at the same time, you have to uphold what's in the best interest of the organization. And I think it's pretty hard for most boards to be like, less funding is good. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, you touched on that earlier when you were reading it, the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So what if there's not another opportunity like this? Right. You know, what if this is our one shot at getting any kind of funding and help over the next year? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we forsake that and then find ourselves in a really horrible place in six months with our reserves now dwindling, rapidly dwindling? Right. And so for me, when you sent that email to me, it was really not even so much of what is the right answer Mm. for this hypothetical organization, but more, are you even having the discussion? Yeah. And that's Joan's point. Um, I do really encourage folks to go and read this because it's got some great tips on how the board um, could have engaged in that conversation, what it should have looked like from an organizational perspective so that they weren't left in this position of being like, why did our executive director decide this? Um, and I think that's her larger point too, is like what that decision-making process looks like. And we're just adding in that layer of like, what does it mean for the sector as a whole? <laughs> Cause that's what we do. Right. That, that's what we do here. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, um, I worked at this place and when I got there, they were in the middle, or I guess I should say at the very end of applying for two highly, highly highly competitive federal grants, really big grants. And it was sort of um, a shot in the dark if we would get them. I wasn't really part of the whole process of pulling together the information, and um, but I do know that it was very cumbersome and that the grant writer had been working on it, you know, for months pulling together the information. And if they received those funds, it was going to allow them to really scale their programming in a new and profound way. But again, um, they weren't, not that they were pessimistic, but they were just realistic of, you know, what are the odds? What are the odds that we would even get one? Well, we find out three months later that we got both of them, Mm -hmm. which for all intents and purposes, yay, this is so amazing. Oh my gosh, this is more money than we could have ever dreamed of. But then it goes, oh, well, holy shit, we have four months to implement everything that we said we were going to do. And we're nowhere near ready to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it was the scramble of, okay, you know, how, you know, what do we have to do? How many people do we have to hire? How do we expand this? How do we do that? And it was super stressful. Now, ultimately, hindsight's twenty twenty, and looking back on it, I mean, that getting those two grants really enabled this organization to kind of take off with their programming. But I learned a lesson of, and this isn't in the exact same vein of what we were just discussing, but I learned a lesson of don't apply for a grant unless, like, apply for it as if you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. And look at all the requirements and are, are we positioned to be able to implement those in a timely manner if we were to get mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, and, and I think to wrap this back around to what we were saying is sometimes when we're in the scarcity mindset, we go for money that's actually going to add so much work to the organization and actually 
add more expenses. Mm -hmm. It's not that that grant is offsetting a current line on, you know, your expense, a current expense line. You're creating a new expense line. And so it's more work. And just having even those conversations beforehand of, you know, are we really ready for this? Why are you laughing at me? Uh, we took a, a hard left turn from scarcity and COVID, but you know, that's, that's where these conversations go. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> we're just having a conversation. We are. We are. No, but I, I, I do think you make some really important points there. And I think to wrap it back to the initial, um, the piece Joan wrote, you know, part of it was like with the PPP loan app, there was supposed to be some sort of danger that you're going to have layoffs, right? It, it was meant to protect your payroll. If you're in an organization where that's not a threat, like, I think that's, that's the, where the ethical question comes in. Are we just applying for this because we're worried we might have to ask a donor for a bigger donation than we were planning to? Does it, is it because we're worried we're going to have to cancel our gala and who knows what's going to happen? Or do we think we're actually going to have to lay off people? Right. Now, of course, I am also a big fan of nonprofits getting federal money, so I don't think I will ever tell one of them not to have applied for something like this. But right. I think, you know, contextually, there, there are questions around this. Um, and what COVID does, really any disaster, but COVID right now, because it's it's so prominent in everybody's life, um, is that it makes us make potentially poor decisions. So the example I'll give, um, and I, I think I've probably talked about this before, 2013, we had massive flooding here, the thousand-year flood, um, and it was it was devastating to our community, right? Like, so many people lost homes, people died. It was genuinely horrific. And two weeks later, we had our annual luncheon scheduled. And I, I had to go back to the committee chairs to be like, nope, <laughs> not happening. Right, not happening. <laughs> We're not going to do a luncheon. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being a real fight um, because... They were feeling like, if we don't do it now, we're never going to get the money, right? Right. And I was like, well, actually, we risk losing even more money because people can't come. People are distracted by really important needs right now in the community. And they, I don't think they're going to be super interested in what we have to say right now. Let's pivot, right? Like, let's do some other things. Let's focus on ensuring that our programs are actually able to stand up, that our kids and volunteers are safe right now. And then we can go out with an appeal in a couple months when things have kind of normalized a bit more. And I just remember these awful, awful calls. Uh, I was also a new executive director. And so uh, lots of questions about like, should they have hired me, which was, you know, fun. And then, oh, that's great. and then, you know, we did get to the point of canceling, which was the right thing to do. We ended up finding out the day of the event that two of our, like, table captains and most of their guests had lost everything. Yep. Like, homes totally flooded. One of them, like, home literally went down the river. Um, and then we did go out with an appeal a couple months later, raised significantly more money than the luncheon ever had. Wow. But, you know, like, again, I think outside of a disaster – those same people on that committee would have been like, oh, yeah, like, phew, we can't do this. That doesn't make sense. But in that moment when emotions are running high, when the future seems scary, 
people are more prone to make bad decisions. Absolutely. Well, all they see are dollar signs. Yeah. Or lack thereof. Or or lack thereof. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you think, what are some other ways that people are doing that during COVID? Well, I think the scarcity mindset, uh, we talked about this a little bit, um, is really amping up board members, especially in wanting, excuse me, in wanting like scenario planning and budgets because uncertainty yes. is running so rampant. And so they want to know what are all of the, the trigger points at which different things could happen when you know, at what point in a drop in revenue do we need to talk about layoffs? And so they want to run through all of these things. And, you know, I've got organizations asking for a new round of scenario planning every single month at a board meeting. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is so exhausting on staff. Yeah. So much work on them. And at the end of the day, like we are, wait, April, May, June, we are three months. <laughs> I, I can't believe it's been three months. We are three months into this. And I still don't feel like we've had, you know, enough come to light that we know what December is going to look like. Absolutely. Yeah. And so those scenarios, like they haven't shifted that much and yet we're having to redo them every single month. Well, and I know that sometimes we're having to redo them because while we may not know what December is going to look like, I think sometimes we create scenarios that might be more optimistic than realistic. Yeah. And as this continues month to month to month, that optimism starts to extinguish. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just sitting at home, crotchety as hell, thinking nothing's ever <laughs> going to get better. <laughs> right. It's like, well, it's based on this forecast. Okay. Now I realize that forecast is not an option. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's probably very true as well. Well, and then it's compounded with um, sort of the ups and downs of the economy, right? Yeah. And people not really knowing how that's going to affect. Because on one hand, we have this revenue stream of grants being impacted, but then we potentially have this other revenue stream from our individual donors, but we're not really sure what that impact is just yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also, uh, I was just thinking when we talk about scarcity, right, there's the fear of the funding unknowns, but then there's also like the expense reduction. Um, yes. and I've had some clients, uh, you know, do some interesting things with that. Um, I have at least three clients actively right now. And I, I say this not to shame them, but just to highlight that it's a big enough issue that it's across a number of organizations. Um, but where they are all sharing like one paid Zoom account. <laughs> right. Get enough Zoom accounts so everybody can have their own. I mean, like they've yeah. got these complex systems of tracking like who's got it when and ensuring that they're waiting room so you don't, you know, jump into the executive committee meeting accidentally. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like the amount of work you are creating for yourself and your staff is so ridiculous. Just pay for the additional fucking accounts. <laughs> exactly. But in all this uncertainty, to go back to what I was, the attempted point I was making earlier, <laughs> <laughs> is that I don't think now is necessarily the time to start a new program because all of a sudden there's a grant available for something oh, that you could possibly do. You don't currently do it, 
but you know, it kind of falls under our mission. So let's just get that money because we are losing money over on this program side and losing money over here, but here's a new one. So let's go for this and then build out a new program while we have absolutely no fucking clue what is happening with our overall budget. That right there is a great point. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) I was getting there. I just... Yeah. You just needed another minute with it. I'm glad I could give you the space for it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for holding space for my thoughts to form. But yeah, I think that that's a really interesting thing. uh, I'm working with another client who... um, is in a position where they don't necessarily have the funding yet, but they have so many program opportunities. Um, you know, they've just really adopted the new technologies and online resources and they're getting a lot of great traction. And so now they're, it's like blown up their entire idea of who they were as an organization in great ways. And so, uh, we were on a call a few weeks ago and they're like, we could go here, we could go here, we could go here. And they have like these three or four ideas and they're like, okay, Nia, can we fundraise for them? I was like, yeah, but you gotta you gotta choose which one, <laughs> right? Right, like we don't fundraise in a like prospecting for programs kind of way. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, my my recommendation to them was really get specific, talk to your program team, determine exactly what you're going to do, come back to me with those details, and then yeah, let's let's talk through what fundraising could look like for that. Well, and so it's about having those conversations back to Joan Gary's email of, and we had this in my organization a couple weeks ago with one of those opportunities. If we were in a, in a growth, like a real scaling growth, and we are, but, and we were, I mean, we were full steam ahead until COVID happened, but now it's kind of pausing everything, right? Like, let's just kind of take stock of what we're currently doing. We've had to rapidly change our programming to meet this new environment. We're not even sure what those metrics look like yet or those outcomes. So let's take a pause, take a beat, and reassess, stabilize and reassess, right? And there was this great opportunity for a significant amount of money. It's a three-year grant. You know, we all love three-year grants, multi-year grants, right? Hell yeah. But we would have, it would have created more work that we're not currently doing. You know, we're doing it at like a scale of one or two, you know, Mm -hmm. and this would require it at a scale of eight to 10. Yeah. And so we got together and it was myself and um, the CEO and the program um, officer who would, uh, would have been the one that, had to implement all this programming and then our grant manager. And so we kind of talked through the pros and cons and rather than saying, well, let's just throw our hat in the ring. Cause who knows? We knew that if we got the money, it would, we couldn't do it. We couldn't fulfill it. Yep. So you know what? It seems like a lot of money and it'd be great to have that for three years, but it's just not worth it right now. Yep. And that, those are the boundaries you have to put in place. And I think the organizations that are starting to shift from scarcity can have those conversations in much more meaningful ways. Yeah. Which is kind and, of the, the bow on the episode right there. <laughs> well, yeah. And potentially, just like we ended the last episode, potentially decrease burnout in the sector. Yes. Snaps for that. Thank you. Thank you. I have redeemed myself. 
All right. So that wraps up today's episode. Again, we'd love to hear from you. So please reach out. Let us know if these conversations are happening where you work and is it being, is it a value of the organization now to um, really think strategically before going after new money opportunities? And I think to the board members out there, read Joan Gary's post. I, I think it really brings up some important uh, concepts and discussion points for board members as well as for staff. Great. Oh, and they can get a hold of us. Sorry, that's where we we're going. Uh, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. And um, if you have capacity during this time, Let's prove that philanthropy is still alive and well. Please support your local nonprofits by giving and giving generously. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Can you get your cat to meow on demand at the end, like MFM? Meow. <laughs> I'll do my best. Riggs want a cookie? <laughs> <laughs> We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.